Over the Sundays leading up to Easter, I want to expand the deep meaning of why Jesus had to go to the cross. I want us to take a walk through some passages in the Old Testament over the weeks to come and really look at the plan of redemption. I know what is going on in the country right now, and we will be threading into our messages things that are very contemporary with what is happening. But what we're talking about right now and over the next weeks to come is of utmost importance in the big picture, not only of what's going on right now, but what will be going on in the future and what will be coming someday in the world. And so with that said, I want to introduce to you this series called Shadows of the Cross. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis with a message titled Back to the Garden. Simon Peter tells us that the prophets of old, David, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and others, said that they realized that the Holy Spirit within them was stirring them up to preach about someone who was to come and a plan that would happen in future days, and that they knew that they were speaking not only about what was in their day, but what was in days to come, and that God had a plan to save the world. We're going to talk about that plan today and in weeks to come. And I'm going to ask you one more time. There are people who are watching this this morning who may have never heard a gospel message before. Would you join me right now and let's ask the Lord's presence, His power, the Holy Spirit to touch each and every one of our lives today. Father, at the end of this service, you know we're going to join with people all around the country and around the world and pray for this nation and for the people of the world. And as we come into your word, I pray you'd open up our world to your world, your word, your purpose for all of us. May we look at the glory and the wonders of Jesus. And may you speak directly to each and every one of our lives. And we ask all of that to bring glory and honor to your name. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The word shadow. The definition of the word shadow is the dark figure cast upon a surface by a body intercepting the rays from a source of light. A source of light that casts a shadow because there's something between the surface and the light. Creation has a shadow cast upon it right now. Creation from the time of the garden has had a shadow, and creation needs a cross. There is a shadow on humanity. There always has been. Even though there is a part of man that has reflects the image of God because we were made by God. Our parents, their parents, all the way back to the first parents, there is a shadow cast from the garden and beyond to right now. And the shadow that's upon man needs a cross. Our condition proves it. Our quest proves it. Our brokenness proves it. And although we are broken, there's something specially unique about us as men, as women, and that is this, God made us. God made us, and he's made a way for us to get back to him. It's in the shadow of a cross. Because although we, have, uh, we live in a world that's in the physical, 
There is something about the world and ourselves that is beyond the physical. It's spiritual. There is something in us that desires something more. There is something in us that desires someone. But there's also another shadow in the world, and it's a shadow of evil. There is something dark in the world. There is something dark among us, something really not right. There is someone really not right. Someone altogether malicious and other has invaded this realm, this world. And it's always been that way since the garden. But that leads me to the second of many definitions of the word shadow, and it's this one. An inseparable companion or follower. I want to tell you that there is someone who doesn't want to be separated from us. There is a companion following us. He's followed you and followed me our whole life long, and that's God. Like in the garden, he's calling your name, he's calling our name, he's calling America, he's calling the world, just like he called for Adam. When Adam sinned, Eve sinned, and they fell, we fell. But this one who created us, provided for the fallen ones, and passionately longs to provide for you and for me. And he came to them, and he called them, and he comes to us, and he calls us. And so week after week, we're going to behold. We're going to really stare in, lean in with our heart to see that there was a price that he willingly paid to bring us back, back to the garden. See, at one time, everything was the best. Once upon a time, everything was perfect. The Bible describes it like this. There was a time when the sons of God sang and worshipped, meaning the angels. There was a time when all of creation was great. It was perfect. There was a time when all of creation was in harmony with the Creator. Man and woman, living in the glory of God, made a little lower than the angels for a period of time, but crowned with glory and honor, with dominion, living in the fullness of life. Perfect, unbroken union with God. All things that he made, everything was best. Yet, once upon a time, everything became a mess by a failed test. Right now in our world, right now in cities all across America, right now in cities all around the world, the world has been stopped in her tracks. This virus is just another Sign that something is wrong. Something's broken. It's a reminder of a mess that started way back in the garden. See, God tests every being he created. And at one time, the angels were tested. And somewhere in eternity past, there was a chaotic rebellion one of the highest-ranked angels of God sought to exalt himself above the stars of God. God created every being with a will to choose. And for a period of time, he even allowed all of the angelic host to choose. And this being chose to revolt. Others followed. We don't know how many. But this being, Lucifer, the light bearer, one of the highest cherubim who walked among the fiery stones rebelled, and everything became a mess 
enter the serpent into the beautiful garden of God. Enter the serpent into man's dominion of glory under God. Enter the serpent sought to bring God's glorious humans into his chaotic mess and tempt them to fall, and the fall took place. Man and woman didn't make a mistake. They chose, and they disobeyed God. They didn't trust his word. They sinned. They agreed with the liar and the thief, and the mess came to them, and the mess has come to us. What is the mess? It's sin. It's death. It's chaos. It has entered every home, every heart, every place in the world. Entered our domain and darkened the hearts of all of us. Darkened the hearts of every person. But for some reason, undeservedly, the Creator chose us still. The Creator chose to come between the serpent and the chaos and us. And the serpent was told by God that God was still going to choose us. Even though there is an inseparable shadow of sin and chaos and darkness and brokenness and death and rebellion and fear and disillusionment and isolation, even though that is real, the shadow of sin is real. There is another inseparable shadow, and that one is this. There is the shadow of a cross. The shadow of a cross. And we can live in that shadow until it becomes blazing light. In the Garden of Eden, God announced his plan of redemption. He showed by taking animals and taking the animal skins, which said to Adam and Eve, somebody has to die, something has to die, blood has to be shed in order to cover you and keep you in a place where I can relate with you. And so God did that. He covered the nakedness of Adam and Eve because God is an inseparable companion and follower. And then he told the evil one that he would come and put an enmity between the enemy's seed, the enemy's followers, and the seed of Eve, the seed of the woman. And one of those particular descendants, he said, he would crush the head of the serpent, although the serpent would bruise his heel. God made a promise to bring man and bring woman back to himself because he wants to be an inseparable companion or follower as we live in the shadow of the cross. When God spoke to Adam and Eve, when God spoke to the serpent in the garden, he made shadow promises. Here's the first one. The first promise to you and to me is this. The devil will be crushed. The devil will be crushed. The Lord said, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. You will crawl on your belly all the days of your life. You will eat dust all the days of your life. God will put Satan in his place. And if we live under the shadow light of the cross, the devil's plots, the devil's schemes can be crushed under our feet as followers 
of Jesus Christ. God makes a shadow promise in the garden that we see revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's another shadow promise. God chooses us. God chooses us. He said, I will put enmity between you, certain serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and my descendant will crush your head. You will strike his heel. The eternal God came and covered Adam and Eve. And the eternal God has come to cleanse the sons of Adam and Eve. Here's how Paul said it in Romans. He called this at just the right time. Right now in America, right now in Europe, right now around the world, we need God's help. We need something to happen. The time is now. We need something, someone to intervene on our behalf because of what is going on in the world with this virus. Is God not capable of hearing our prayer? Is God not capable of turning his ear toward us? At just the right time, Jesus came to put the shadows in place. From one tree in the garden to another tree on Calvary's hill, from one garden of Eden to the garden of Gethsemane, we were separated from the tree of life. And so God sent his son who is the life. And he died on a tree, took the curse of our sin upon himself so that you and I could have a right to come back to the tree of life. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, Paul said. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to put the shadows back in place at the cross. Let me explain. At the cross, Jesus brought something back into the world that those who believe in him and receive him can experience spiritually right now. Here's the first thing. When Jesus went to the cross, he brought peace back in the garden. He brought peace back in. The creator came back into his creation. That's Jesus. And here's how Paul says it. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ's death on the cross brings peace into the garden of our soul. While there is chaos and fear, uncertainty all around, within you, within me, within his people, there can be a peace that passes all understanding because Jesus broke down the wall to bring peace through his blood on the cross. Jesus came to put the shadows back in place. Not only did he bring peace to the garden, Jesus brought purity back into the garden. I love this. Colossians 1 says, once we were alienated from God. Have you ever felt like that? I felt like that. And there was a time that I thought I was all right until I heard the truth of the gospel. I heard the truth that I wasn't all right. And that there was something between me and God. It was me. It was sin. It was a self-centered life. And I realized that 
I didn't even know I was doing it. But I was living in enmity, going my way instead of God's way. Once you were alienated from God, and once you were an enemy in your mind. Why? Because of your evil behavior. But now he has brought you back by Christ's physical body through death to do what? Purity. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. There's a condition. It's called faith. It's called hanging all of your hopes on him who hung on the cross. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and don't move away from the hope of the gospel, holy, without blemish and free. Because see what Jesus did? He came into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he went to the cross, and then in another garden he rose from the grave, and in his resurrection you and I come out holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Because Jesus came to bring peace to the garden of our soul, and Jesus came to bring purity back to the garden of our heart. You know what else he did when he did that? He made a public expulsion of the snakes from the garden. Jesus kicked the snakes out. Hey, if you're watching this in your PJs, and you're not alone, and there's somebody around you, look at him and say, he kicked the snakes out. He kicked the snakes out. Right. At the cross, Jesus brought not only forgiveness to those who believe, but he crushed Satan's accusational authority over you and over me. If we believe in the finished work of the cross, we can believe that we're no longer under the accusation of the power of the evil one because he forgave us of all of that. The snake's argument against, I hate snakes. Do you hate snakes? As a matter of fact, I have to tell you, I'm sort of afraid of snakes. Well, not sort of, sort of is an understatement, right? But the snake's argument, I'm talking about the devil and his demons. The snake's argument against us has been thrown out of court. Christ paid the price in full, buried our debt to God. Satan can throw accusation at you, can throw it at me, but listen... If you know what Jesus did on the cross, you can hit every accusation that the devil throws at you right out of the park. Because his blood has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And you know what? There are a lot of people walking around in this world, in America, sitting in churches. Well, not today. Sitting in churches who carry a weight of guilt and sin and accusation on their hearts that need not be there. Jesus kicked the snakes out of the garden. And the cross of Jesus Christ can free you. And you can kick the snakes out of your garden. Satan wants to be praised. And nobody in the world that I know of that I've ever met, and I hear there are people who do, but nobody I've ever met wake up in the morning and praise the devil or say, Hallelujah. you know, I don't even want to say it. But the way Satan gets praise from people is when people personalize the accusations he makes on their life so that they no longer magnify the work of Jesus on the cross and they over magnify the accusation of the devil. That's the only way. He needs praise. He's a maniacal Narcissist. God doesn't need praise, but we need to praise God. And when we have our eyes open to the power of what Jesus did on the cross, 
He brought peace to the garden. He brought purity to the garden. And when we see that he's expelled the snakes, we can praise God for the freedom that he has given us in the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to hear you shout, live stream. I'm listening real close. There we go. Somebody. That's all. Yeah. Jesus put the shadows in their rightful place. The shadow of your shame. The shadow of your guilt. The shadow of the penalty that you owed to the law has been paid in full by the grace of our Lord. So be glad. Gone, gone, gone. Your sins can be gone. The cross means there's a public expulsion of snakes from the garden. You know what that means? You know what that means? One day, paradise is coming again. One day, paradise is coming again. I love the last book of the Bible. There is so much hope in the last book of the Bible. Let me give you a passage of hope from the last book of the Bible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And look at this, friend. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Paradise is coming again. Paradise. Adam sinned, paradise lost. Jesus saves, paradise regained. Jesus took our sin. He came walking into a garden called Gethsemane. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And when he prayed that prayer, he doomed Satan forever. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who was thinking in his mind, there must be some way out of here. And he said to Jesus, you've done nothing wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's where your loved one is who believes in Jesus Christ. That's where my father is because he clung to the cross in his life. Paradise. That's where you're going to be, and I'm going to be, by the grave, unless he comes back before the grave, which he could. Nevertheless, paradise has been regained. And heaven, listen, heaven is coming to earth again. I heard a loud voice from the throne. That's God. Look, my dwelling place will be among the people. I'll be your God, and you'll be with me, and I'll be with you, and I'll wipe every tear from your eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All the old things gone forevermore, and all things new. Paradise, heaven is coming again. So I close with this. What do you do? What do you do? I don't know exactly what to tell us all to do about what's going on in the world with this virus. I think it'd be wise for us to listen to what people are telling us to do. Not everybody, but the Center for Disease Control, our government officials right now. Listen to what they have to say. But I want to tell you something. After this virus has come and gone, 
There will be a day when the one that we've preached about, prayed to, thought about, or didn't think about is going to come again. And you and I need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Here's what the scripture said. Jesus himself says this. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth. Now look at this verse. We'll mourn because of him. So shall it be. Mourn? Why? Why will people mourn? Because they will realize they missed paradise forever? That the opportunity afforded them, they chose to neglect, never accept, pretend it wasn't there, and now it's too late forever? See, the snake still speaks. The serpent still talks and says the same thing. He is still lying about God. He's lying about you. Redefining the gospel. Putting his spin on you, on the world, on the word. Satan preaches a half-truth gospel. God loves you, so you're okay. You surely shall not die. You're okay. God loves you. That's half true. Oh, it's true that God loves you. But the whole truth is, God loves you, but you're perishing in your sin and rebellion and self-exaltation and self-preservation. It's true that God loves you, but God loves you But you believe, possibly, that you're good enough without the gospel. A cross might be around your neck, but it hasn't challenged you or captured your heart. God loves you so much, he's telling you the truth. Satan builds a snowflake gospel. And the fire and conviction of the Holy Spirit has come today to melt it away so you can believe the truth and be saved. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So how do you get ready? We're to come before the cross in humility. The very first thing Jesus said for people to do to enter into the greatness of the kingdom of God was to declare spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he said, blessed are you who mourn, meaning mourn over your resistance to God. Mourn over your need and confess you have one. Mourn over your sin and confess it. And then look to the one who came to take your place and mourn at the foot of the cross. We come to the cross of Jesus Christ and put all our hope, all our faith in him. And when we do, that's how you get prepared. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation. Blessed are those who, ready, wash their robes. Wash their robes. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may ready have the right to the tree of life. Look, right now, we can't get to the tree of life, but we can get to Jesus. But to get to the tree of life and go into the gates of the city, we have to wash our robes in the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see the shadow of the cross? Do you realize there is one who has been alongside of you your entire life asking, where are you? Where are you? Wash your robes. Well, it's her fault. Well, it's his fault. Well, it's the devil's fault. Wash your sin in the blood. See, sin cannot enter that city. And see, that's the part that we have in this culture psychologically conditioned ourselves to not confront that peace. But the Bible loves the Word of God. God loves us so much that He wants to tell us the whole truth. The whole truth. Remember the scene in the movie with Tom Cruise where the man on the stand says, you can't handle the truth. Well, here's the truth, and I hope you can handle it. Outside are the dogs. Now, that's not a statement against animals. That word dogs means people who have just flippantly, fervently, rebelliously chose to throw off all restraint and live in any kind of debauchery whatsoever. But it also is used to indicate people who bypass the cross and make their own robes of righteousness and expect God to accept them because they go to a church, they do good things, or they act nice to their neighbor. Our righteousness is filthy rags in the eyes of God. Paul called the Jewish people who bypassed the cross and tried to preach some other way to God dogs. That's pretty offensive, isn't it? but it's true. We're not asking the world's opinion. We're giving you God's opinion. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts. Pharmakia is the word in the Greek. It means to be seduced. Pharmacy, it don't mean drugs. It means, it means altering, altering powers that seduce you away and control other people away from God outside of the sexually immoral. There it is. It's right there. The murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now who said that? Verse 16 tells us. I, Jesus, said that. I, Jesus. This is the same Jesus that carries sheep close to his heart, who is telling people who have refused to listen just like Adam and Eve. There are consequences when we put our own words or the devil's words above God's. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony. And I'm, testimony, I'm testifying for Jesus today. He's my boss. And he loves us. He loves you. But no sinner can bypass the cross, trusting in their own goodness to save. Not even one. But every sinner, even the most wretched, even the worst, even those not welcomed by so-called Christians can come clean with Jesus. Completely clean right now in the shadow of that old rugged cross. 
So I want to give you the opportunity to turn to Christ, to turn to the cross and pray right now with me. The President of the United States declared today the National Day of Prayer in America. The world's in trouble. The world's in trouble, not just because of a virus, but because of something worse, something inside that can't be cured by medication or the wisdom of men, sin. The world's in trouble, you're in trouble, I'm in trouble without the cross. And God has come to shine his sunlight on the righteous and the unrighteous, and in his grace and kindness, he will provide a way for us through this season of fear and concern of what's going on medically and in the health realm of our, our physical being. His kindness, he'll, he'll come through, watch and see. But this coronavirus is a reminder that there are things beyond us and there are things broken and there are things that are bigger than man. A reminder, something's wrong. Something's been let in. We did that. God didn't do that. God didn't do that. We did that. Before Jesus returns, there will be a higher level of intensity of all these broken things in the world that we're experiencing. Earthquakes, wars, diseases, famine, civil unrest, climate out of control, like the final intensity of birth pains. God is speaking to the world through the brokenness of the world, through the fear, through the uncertainties. He is saying to you and me, wherever you're watching this from, where are you? Where are you? He's speaking even into the White House. Where are you? Our president. Wouldn't it be something? And I hope you hope for this. Wouldn't it be something if from the White House to your house, from the president to this preacher and all parishioners, to the prisoners in jail, to the prisoners in sin, to the priests and the parents, we would all stop pointing at each other and all of us humble ourselves today from our president and his cabinet to the Congress and be like Nebuchadnezzar gets on their face and says, there is a God in heaven and I'm not him. That the only talk of greatness that would come from the lips of any leader would be about the greatness of our God. Let's pray for that today. Would you get on your knees with me? In your living room, in your bedroom, wherever you are, get on your knees and join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you that our president has declared today a national day of prayer. And I pray that all of us would, regardless of our political persuasions, our convictions, would take this opportunity. Other countries in the world what may not ever have that or have a leader for whatever reason even declare it. But we have the opportunity and we're to pray for kings and leaders and those over us. We're to pray for those around us in our governments. We're to pray for one another. 
Lord, there's a sickness that seems to be running rampant in the world, and some seem to be giving us information that is good information, but everybody has an opinion, and there's so many points of view, and we're tossed back and forth by every wind of words. We just want to bow our knee before the maker of heaven and earth. I've preached to people today that are watching, maybe for the very first time, maybe heard the message about the cross in a manner that you made clear to them today for the very first time. I pray that every one of them would have faith now to bow and believe and receive the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ, and they'd be cleansed of every sin. The power of the enemy would be broken off their life. And they would be born again, raised up to live a new life with peace in their heart, purity in their heart, passionately longing to live for you and wait on your coming. Lord, I pray for our country. I pray for those that are sick. We pray that there would be an answer. We pray that there would be, a, through this, God, you would work all things for good that you would turn our hearts toward home, turn our heart toward one another, turn our heart toward you, turn our heart in humility. Father God, would you stretch forth your hand of kindness? You make your sun shine on the righteous and the wicked. You send rain on the just and the unjust. Lord, we pray that you would sweep this virus off the face of the earth. Off the face of the earth. We pray for the elderly for the immune suppressed specifically, that you would put a wall of protection around them, that you'd give men and women wisdom. But more than all that, in this, would you use this to bring a mighty spiritual awakening to the world one more time where hearts would turn to you and that the church would lift up her head and see this as another reminder that one day, one day, all things will change. Until that day, may your grace be with us. May your spirit enfold us. And may we preach the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world to our last breath. And we give you thanks for it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to close this with a song that talks about the blood of Jesus. Thank you for being with us today. We love you. We'll be praying with you. We'll stay in communication with you. Send the word out. Share this message with somebody. God is unlimited in where he can send his message to someone who needs it most. We love you. Praying for you. God's best to you.